Thanks, Chad. Thank you, Ed. Thank you, Russ. Thank you, Kathy. Uh, I'm also a lunch buddy at Sunnyside Elementary School, and I can I can just attest it's uh, oftentimes it is one of the greatest hours of my week, getting an opportunity to invest in uh, my good boy or my good little buddy Kale. And uh, so I just want to really, really encourage you, as uh, these men did and Kathy did, to get get involved. The schools need us. I would also mention that Matt Utterback, in the last three times he has spoke at our community-wide worship service, he has invited us to be involved in the 17 elementary schools, the four middle schools, and the high schools of this district. So, fellas, they're asking for us to show up, and so let's yeah. be that uh, influence in the lives of the young people. Amen? Amen. Amen. Well, I'm really jacked this morning about uh, just what God is doing in our community. I know the pastors that gather together on a regular basis for prayer. We're very excited. We've been praying for and believing God for a move and that this community would be transformed like that community in the first century in the book of Acts. In Acts chapter 17, when some of the men were dragged in and they were the accusations were being made of them. These are the men who have turned the world upside down. This is our time. And it's our it's our opportunity to turn our community right side up. And so super excited about who we have with us this morning and our first speaker this morning. I, I really met for the first time this morning. I've heard him share his testimony. I've heard him challenge men. And I am just thrilled. Ben Malcolmson, he is the personal assistant to Pete Carroll of the Seattle Seahawks. He's got a phenomenal testimony. He loves Jesus. And he is coming to share with us this morning. Will you give a warm North Clackamas welcome as Ben Malcolmson comes to share with us. Before we get going, do we have any Seahawks fans in the house? <laughs> <laughs> okay, so Seahawks fans are, are known for being loud. Do we have any Seahawks fans in the house? Let's go! Okay, do we have any fans of other teams in the house? <laughs> the door is right back there. <laughs> okay, everyone's welcome here. We're all one uh, unity here. So um, it's awesome to be with y'all this morning. Let me all let me tell y'all a story this morning, but. Um, before I, I tell you this story, I want you to, to listen for a nudge as I share this story. Just listen for a nudge as we go about this story. So I'm going to take you back a few years. I went to college at USC down in Los Angeles. I went out there as just a nerdy college student trying to find his way. I uh, changed my major four times and eventually stumbled upon journalism. I was going to study journalism and part of that process was to write for the school newspaper there at USC, the Daily Trojan. And very quickly, I got assigned to cover the football team. This was right at the start of USC's kind of run, magical run about 10 years ago, where they went to several national championships in a row. And just had an incredible run there at USC. And I got to cover that, that team for, for the school newspaper there. Um, that was my job in college. So for three years, I got paid to go to every home away game. I got paid to go cover practice. It was an incredible opportunity. I mean, some of my friends were, uh, janitors in the dorms, you know, at two in the morning. Some work in the IT department, middle of the night, graveyard shift. And here I was, my job in college was to cover the number one football team in the country. I got to go to three straight national championship football games. I got to go to two Heisman Trophy ceremonies. I got to go to 39 straight football games. Home and away. 
it was an incredible opportunity. I was so fortunate. And through all that, I was realizing that this is what I wanted to do for my life. This is what I wanted to do for my job when I graduated. So I was gearing up to graduate. I was looking for jobs. And as I, at the same time, I was looking for how can I wrap up my time here at the Daily Trojan in a good way, a pretty appropriate way. So I was looking for a really good story to kind of finish my time. I had done some really cool stories over the years. I had done a day in the life of Pete Carroll. I followed him from 7 a.m. till 10 p.m. Wrote about that, and it was a really cool story, taking people on the inside. I got to be an equipment manager for a day. I got to do laundry all day, and it was, it was pretty cool, actually. Uh, I got to run a workout with the women's cross-country team, and uh, they sure kicked my butt. So uh, I, I got to do all these really cool stories as part of my, my experience there on the Daily Trojan, and I was looking for one final good story to kind of close out my time before I graduated. Now, I saw an ad in the school newspaper that talked about walk-on tryouts for the football team. Now, walk-ons, if you don't know, are, are the guys at the end of the bench, the guys that really don't get to play, especially at a school like that. Um, they have to pay their own way to go to college. They don't get scholarships. But they help fill out the team. They help the team practice. They help um, make the team operate and, and work. And so I figured, well, that would be a pretty cool story, right about the guys who don't really get attention. This was at the time of Matt Liner, Reggie Bush, on the covers of Sports Illustrated, on Sports Center every night. These walk-on guys are just as much a part of the team, too, but I've never seen a story about them. So I figured I should write a story about these guys. Now I started interviewing some guys who are already walk-ons, and I interviewed some guys that are going to try out to be walk-ons in the coming year. And through all this, a light bulb goes off in my head. Well, what if I try out, too? I think I can get a first-person perspective, kind of show people what it's actually like to try out for the football team. Now, before I go any further, I do have to be totally honest with y'all. The last time I played football was in fifth grade. So, <laughs> on top of the fact that I was 160 pounds, a uh, newspaper reporter, uh, this was a total joke. I mean, I was going to go out and just make fun of myself for two hours at the tryout, write this story, just throw myself under the bus, and it was going to be a great, really cool story to be able to show how hard it is to try out for the number one football team in the country. So, I go out to the tryout. Um, I had, never really run any football drills in my life, and there I am lining up for a 40-yard dash. I didn't know how to get in a starter stance or anything like that. They put me on some wide receiver routes. Um, I played Madden before, so I kind of knew, <laughs> knew what a slant was, but uh, it, was, it was hard. It was really hard. Awesome. Go through the tryout, and uh, I get my butt kicked that day, but it was, it was the coolest two hours of my life. I mean, I got to try out for the best football team this was unbelievable. So I go home that night, I start writing my story, and it was going to be the most self-deprecating, coolest story I've ever written in my life. I was so fired up. I get about halfway through, I need to sleep on it, and finish it up the next day, I'll turn it in. I wake up uh, pretty early that morning to a phone call, and in college, really early in the morning is 8 a.m. So um, <laughs> it was 8 a.m., I got a phone call, and it was from a strange number, and the lady on the other end of the line was like, is this, is this Ben Malcolmson? I was like, yeah. And she's like, well, this is Christy from the USC football office. You made the football team. <laughs> now, um, if, you, if you can't remember, I, I hadn't played football since fifth grade. Um, I was 160 pounds. I was out there at the tryout simply to write an article about tryouts. Um, never once did it cross my mind that, oh, maybe I could make the team, or I'm out here to try to make the team. That never even came close to crossing my mind. And I get this phone call from some random lady that I had made the number one football team in the country. So I'm waking up still at the same time, and it hits me as she's still on the phone that 
this has got to be a prank call. And one of my friends is, is <laughs> connected with some sorority girl or something, like, hey, please call this guy, let's prank him. And I was like, okay, who is this? this is, is this a prank call? She's like, no, this is Christy from the US football office. You made the football team, you need to come in and check in. I was like, oh boy, this is real. Okay, here we go. So I hustle, hustle downstairs, jump on my bike, pedal as fast as I can over the football building. And about halfway there, it hits me that Coach Carroll is renowned for pulling pranks. Now, if you go on YouTube, um, you can type in Pete Carroll prank. There's going to be dozens of them that show up. And Pete Carroll is renowned for pulling pranks. You've probably seen some of them uh, as you guys have been around the internet or maybe on SportsCenter or whatever. But it hits me that I'm about to be the butt end of his latest prank. <laughs> I mean, who better to prank than a student newspaper reporter? I mean, this is unbelievable. So I'm halfway there, and I just am trudging my way through the rest of the way to get to the football building, just gearing up for the rug to be pulled out from under me. So I'm fully expecting to walk up into the football office, confetti to fall from the sky, candid camera to be there, Snoop Dogg, Will Ferrell. I mean, this is going to be ridiculous. Here I am, the butt end of Coach Carroll's latest prank. I walk into the football office, and the receptionist goes, congratulations, Ben, we're so excited for you. And I was like, oh boy, she's in on it too, here we go. <laughs> and I turn the corner and there's Coach Carroll. It's like, Ben, you can catch the ball, you can run fast, are you in? And I was like, of course I'm in. And I was fully expecting him to be like, aha, I got you, just kidding. And I was like, is this a joke? He's like, no, 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 I'm serious. You can catch the ball, you can run fast. We want you on the team, are you in? Now here's the best college football coach in the country at the time telling me who hadn't played football since fifth grade that I could catch the ball and run fast. This, this had to be a joke, but it honestly wasn't. This was real life. And so in that moment, my life flipped. I went from a student newspaper reporter about two months from graduating and going off and working for a newspaper somewhere to all of a sudden being on the number one football team in the country, just like that. Now I, I go down, I get, I get my playbook, and as I said, I played Madden and, and video games in my time. And reading a playbook in real life is nothing like that. For those of you that have played football or have kids that play football, it is something else. It is like trying to learn Japanese for the first time. It is, it is crazy. And then I go down and get my pads, my helmet. Um, I hadn't played football in about 10 years at this point, so I didn't know how to put pads on. I didn't know how to snap my helmet on. This was so embarrassing. And here I am, a senior in college on a really good football team, and I, I can't figure this stuff out. So uh, I'm going out to practice the first day. I'm obviously really nervous because I'm about to get hit for the first time in my life. Really. <laughs> they didn't waste much time. Uh, first few minutes of practice, I get helmet to helmet hit. Uh, I don't think I remember the rest of practice that day, but um, there I was on the football team. I mean, my life had taken taking a total turn, 180 degree flip, all of a sudden here I was part of the USC football team. This was crazy. It never even became a dream of mine that, oh, maybe I could make the team. But all of a sudden my life had taken a total turn and God had totally shifted my life to do something totally unique. So I'm going out to practice every day and they fortunately put me in a really good weightlifting program so I started to gain a lot of weight. And through that, the, the strength coaches are telling me, you gotta eat a lot more too got to gain a lot more calories, put a lot more calories in your diet. So I was going to Taco Bell a lot late at night. That really helps. Um, but slowly over time, I was gaining, gaining weight. I was starting to figure out the playbook. I was starting to really take hold of this new life that I was living, that I could actually do this. This isn't as, as crazy as it, as it looks. Um, I was starting to look the part. I was starting to act the part. I was starting to be able to read the playbook. 
taught the part. I mean, this was my new life, and I was starting to own it. And about a month into spring practice, I'm out uh, blocking. I was a wide receiver. I was blocking a cornerback on play, and my, my hand got caught in his pad. And we get tangled up, and he rolls over me, and I actually dislocate my shoulder. Now, laying on there, laying there on the field, just writhing in pain, and the doctors rush over, they pop it back in, they send me to the hospital right away. And after x-rays and MRIs, they say that I need emergency reconstructive surgery, that I'm going to be out for nine months. Now, here I was, uh, just starting my, my new life as a USC football player, senior year of college. I had this one year to play, and all of a sudden it gets ripped from my hands. So I had started to take hold of this dream, but all of a sudden it gets taken out of my, out of my grasp. So I go through the surgery and I'm obviously crushed. I'm obviously defeated and questioning why, why, am I, why was I even here in the first place. And I had heard at some point Coach Carroll had talked about overcoming injuries and that if you really dedicate yourself to overcoming, go through the rehab process and, and just really working hard, um, you can, get you can get back faster than the doctors say. So the doctors told me nine months, and combined with Coach Carroll's words and my faith, I was gonna get back faster than nine months. So I just kind of dedicated myself to the rehab, and four months later, I was back. Now we have a short video here that's uh, gonna tell the rest of the story from here. Fox Sports did a little documentary uh, a couple years ago that kind of helps tell the rest of the story. It's a little five minute video, so uh, cue that up and enjoy this. Ben was now focused on living up to the words of sports writer Owen Byrd, who in 1912 had nicknamed the team the Trojans, because as he wrote, no matter the situation, the odds, or the conditions, the competition must be carried on to the end, and those who strive must give all they have and never be weary in doing so. He was on a mission. He was definitely going to rehab all the time. And he was going to get back. What was really inspirational to a lot of us, especially to me, was that even as a walk-on, he stuck with it, and a lot of people definitely wouldn't have. That was really amazing to a lot of us. Ben was racing against the clock. He was determined to return to the team before the end of the season. The transformation from writer to player was now complete. He really, really believed in getting back as quickly as possible. To everyone's shock, Ben returned to practice a mere four months after his injury. That was the biggest victory right there. I was like, well, I can do anything I put my mind to. But the real surprise came as the campus and community responded to the news of his recovery. He represented the average student on campus. The story became bigger than me. It became everyone, and everyone saw hope in it. Grade school girls that played volleyball and said, you know, I was thinking about giving up, but now I'm gonna keep trying because I heard your story. Or the soldiers from Iraq that were grappling with all of their daily challenges and heard about Ben's story, and they said, this is the story of why America is great. But though it was a stirring story, Ben's recovery came with only three games remaining in the season. As a walk-on, his chances of playing were already slim. Now, they were remote. I sort of resigned to just put on a jersey every Saturday for home games and practicing my butt off on Monday through Friday. That's really all I wanted from the experience. But his friends had higher hopes. I had a couple of really good friends who thought that it would be cool if they started a little campaign, get Ben in, sort of support me. Uh, 
flyer like on campus like all over the place. They made t-shirts and posters and signs. Everywhere we could place a flyer, we put it. I think we actually made the university kind of mad at us for a little while. Even Coach Carroll was pulling for him and looking for the right opportunity. It's always something that we're hoping to do. So when you have an opportunity to present that for the guys, you know, I jump at it. Unfortunately for Ben, the next two games presented no opportunity to play. Arch-rival Notre Dame was USC's final opponent of the year, and Ben's last chance to play for the Trojans. I got up in the morning at the hotel and was watching the television, and I saw a big sign that said, get Ben in, a big photo of Ben. I'm thinking, this is remarkable. It is so cool. I people rally behind me. 92,000 people and all very feverish because it was a Notre Dame game. It was so damn If I could have just taken that as my last memory, that would have been the best thing ever. This is my last chance. It was senior night at the Coliseum. We were asked as a group of parents to come out on the field and form a gauntlet for the players to run through. And of course, the first name they mentioned. He comes running through that traveler horse, and he ran through the gauntlet. I look up on that jumbotron, and there it is. It says Ben Malcolmson from Highland Park, Texas. And I went, oh my gosh. Many people tell me I'd give my left arm to have that experience. And I go, wow, it really is that big a deal. The Notre Dame game couldn't have been a more storied way to end. After all, Notre Dame's Rudy Rudiger's walk-on story had inspired a feature film. Rudy. Almost like it was divine intervention. We were up two scores. And I remember that Notre Dame had tried to onside kick the ball. The score then got to a point where there was a sufficient spread and the coaches felt comfortable in putting that in the game. Finally, eight months of sweat, pain, and dedication paid off for Ben Malcolmson. Experience for sure. Coach said, Benny, you're in. We saw him running out there and we said, Oh my gosh, he's actually gonna get into the game. It was just an awesome experience. Um, I definitely went nuts. Even though it was only like 10 seconds of me on the field on that play, it meant so much to me for all the work that I put in and all the challenges that overcome, but also for the people who started to support me. And it was just not only my friends, it was so many people on campus, people in class, people I didn't even know. What a remarkable experience. And uh, I think that's what Ben kind of lived for. Though he was only on the field for one play, Ben accomplished something few could ever imagine. That dream that everyone has to, what would it be like to be out there and be a part of it? He got to live it. For Ben to be able to do that was something that I think really proved to him that I can't do something extraordinary in my life. It is very special for these guys to be able to hang in this program. It's a very unique program. That's a lifelong memory for those guys to make it through because of their will and their toughness and their desire and the way they dream. It's a beautiful thing sometimes. It's just surreal. It's unbelievable. It seems like only stuff that happens in movies.
pretty wild story. Uh, before we go any further, I do need to apologize. I actually lined up wrong on that play. <laughs> I should have been penalized five yards. So <laughs> thankfully, the referees let that one slip because that would have been really embarrassing to get a penalty on the one play I get to play. So I was just so nervous, you know. Um, but incredible story. And I said at the beginning, let me tell you a story. Um, and stories do something unique in us. Stories, we resonate with stories. Stories kind of echo in our hearts. When we hear a story, it kind of sticks with us differently than when we hear statistics or facts or dates. Stories we carry with us. And maybe you'll think about this story later today or a week from now. But the coolest thing is God is weaving a story through all of our lives. And he wove a story through that story as well. And the God stories in our lives are the ones that we carry with us through eternity. These God stories are the things that encourage us, give us hope, and really transform our lives. So the rest of this story, the part that Fox Sports didn't show, is something that will encourage you, that will put wind in your sails, that will maybe give you that nudge that I asked you to listen for at the beginning. Now when I made the team, we're going back a few months from, from the end of this story, when I made the team, almost the first moment I made the team, I had this sense in my heart that God had me there for a reason. That God had planted me on that team for a specific purpose. Now as I say that, maybe that resonates with you. Maybe you find yourself in your office thinking that God has you there for a reason. That God has planted you in your neighborhood for a purpose. Maybe it's at your church. Maybe it's among your friend group. But God has you there for a reason. And maybe you know that. But maybe you just don't know what it is yet. Because that's where I was. When I made the team, I'm trying to figure out what is my purpose in being on the team. Why am I here? Why has God called me specifically to this place? If he needed another football player for that team, he, there were lots more people that were bigger, stronger, faster than I was at that school that he could have put there. But he wanted me there for a reason. And so I was pressing into that. A few weeks into being on the team, I, I get an idea that we need to start a Bible study for the team. Now, there was no Bible study at the time on the team, and I figured, well, this would be a pretty cool opportunity. Let's get something started. And I made flyers and passed them out to all my teammates, told all my teammates about this, got a lesson ready, got a room ready. The time comes for our first Bible study, and I'm sitting there all excited, very ready, and I'm the only one that's there. No one shows up. There's 100 guys on the team. You'd think at least one other guy would show up to a Bible study. So you can imagine my discouragement, my disappointment. Man, I thought I was here for a reason. I thought God had me here for a purpose. So it took me a little while to get through that, that defeat, that discouragement. And maybe a couple weeks, maybe a month or so later, I get another idea. That we just start a prayer group for the team. Now we'll gather together the day before every game and we'll pray together. Now, even if it's someone's lucky rabbit's foot, good luck charm, it'd still be pretty cool to kind of get some people together on the team, pray together the day before every game. So I made flyers, passed them out to all my teammates, told all my teammates, got a room ready. The time comes for our first prayer meeting before our game. And again, I'm the only one that shows up. So here I am, twice as defeated, twice as discouraged, questioning even more, God, why am I here? What is my purpose? Why did you put me on this team? It took me a little longer to get through that discouragement. Now maybe a month or two later, I get another idea. I just read in Matthew 5, that it says, let your light shine before men. And it hit me that lights just shine. Let's just shine where they're at. They don't go create events. They don't go create Bible studies, prayer groups. Well, all of those things are great, but the first and foremost purpose of a light is to just shine. And I just needed to shine where I was. 
So I just focus on, on being a light on the team, just trying to be a great friend of my teammates, trying to develop these, these great relationships with my friends, my teammates here on the team. But it was hard. I mean, you wake up at 6 a.m., you go right to weightlifting, you go right from weights to class, you go from class to football meetings, grab a quick lunch, you go more football meetings, then you go to practice. After practice, you've got to go back to class. Class is over at 10, you got to do some homework. Midnight, you're going to bed, and 6 a.m., you do it all over again the next day. The life of a student athlete doesn't really allow for deep friendships to form. I'm not just hanging out, playing Xbox with my teammates all the time. So here I am a few weeks into trying to just be a light to develop these really good friendships with my teammates, trying to get below the surface, trying to be a light amongst my teammates. But again, here I am questioning God, why am I here? What is my purpose? Because I'm just not seeing it right now. Everything I'm trying to do is failing miserably. So here we are, we're at the end of the season at this point. We get chosen to play in the Rose Bowl, and it was the beginning of December we get chosen, the game's on New Year's Day. Right around the time that we get selected to play in the Rose Bowl, I get an idea that everyone on the team needs to get a Bible. Now this was my last chance to make an impact on the team. I mean, I only had these couple weeks left of being on the team, and this is the only chance I had left. I had just read in Isaiah 55 that his word goes out and does not return void. So if I was going to put his literal word out there, if I was going to put a Bible out there with every teammate, it was not going to come back empty. So I called my grandfather. My grandfather's in the Gideons, a group that puts Bibles in all the hotel rooms, passes them out to college campuses everywhere. Called him up. I was like, is there any way you can send 100 Bibles? Gladly sends 100 Bibles. I get him a few days before Christmas, big box, 100 Bibles. And I, I was like, this would be a pretty cool Christmas present. But I was tired of being the Christian guy on the team. I was tired of putting myself out there and just failing. Tired of putting myself out there for a Bible study, a prayer group, trying to be a good friend, and nothing's working. So I'd want to do this one totally anonymous. So I typed up a little note, if we could show that on the screen. It said, the greatest gift you'll ever receive, the gift of Jesus Christ. Merry Christmas. Typed up this little note, stuck one in every Bible, and placed one in every locker. On Christmas Eve at about 11 o'clock at night, set one in every single locker in locker. And we were off Christmas Day, and we came back the 26th of December. And I was so excited to get back because I had finally figured out my purpose. I had finally figured out why God had put me on that team. It was solely to put these Bibles in all of my teammates' lockers. And I was so excited to get there because I mean, I'm expecting just the greatest things. I'm 21 years old. I'm an overzealous college student. I was fully expecting revival to break out, Hollywood course to be sung. I mean, this was going to be total transformation of the USC football team. Here we go. So I'm hop, skipping, and jumping over the football building that day, pulling the door to the locker room, just fully expecting light to emanate from the locker room, angels to be flying out. It's going to be amazing. And I open the door to the locker room. Bibles just thrown across the floor, pages shredded, ripped out thrown everywhere. You couldn't even see the carpet of the locker room. All you could see were shredded pages of the Bibles that I had placed in my teammates' lockers. I was obviously crushed. This was beyond discouragement. This was beyond defeat. Because this was my last chance to find my purpose in being on the team. And once again, I had failed. So I just kind of threw in the towel and said, I guess I missed my purpose. I missed my reason. I missed my calling for being on this team. Went through the rest of that week and 
we play in the Rose Bowl a few days later. It was an incredible experience. We win the Rose Bowl. We finished three in the country. But I had this hole in my heart that I missed the reason I was there. I missed my God-given purpose for being on the team. Now, as I say all these things, I know that's resonating with many, if not all of you in here. That maybe you're trying to have an impact in your office. Maybe you're trying to have an impact with your family, with some friends, with a sports team that you're on. But you're just not seeing it. And all you're seeing is discouragement, defeat, disheartening. So what do you do from there? And that's the spot I was in. We go home after the game, and I, I fly back to Texas. And two days after the game, I get a phone call from a teammate saying, hey, do you hear about Mario? Now, Mario was our kicker on the team, record-setting kicker. He just finished his junior year of college. And so I was figuring he's either going to go to the NFL a year early or he won the Kicker of the Year award. And I was like, no, what happened to Mario? Tell me. And he's like, oh, no, he didn't hear. Mario died. The night before, mysteriously in the middle of the night, Mario was found dead. So here I was. Not only dealing with the discouragement and defeat of trying to find my purpose all year, but now here I was dealing with the grief, the utter sadness of losing a teammate, my closest friend on the team, Mario Danello, our kicker. And on top of all this, I mean, I didn't want to judge, but it sure didn't seem like he was heading in the right direction in terms of his eternal fate. Um, I didn't. I never shared the gospel with him. I mean, he just he didn't really come to anything. I mean, I invited him to a prayer group. I invited him to a Bible study. But all those things obviously hadn't worked in his life. And now his eternal fate was sealed. So I felt this grief on top of responsibility. Man, I could have changed his eternal fate, and I didn't. So we go to the funeral a few days later, and we're sitting there as a team. Eight of our offensive linemen carries caskets on the center aisle, and I look up right as the caskets passing by. And there was the Bible that I placed in his locker with the same red note sticking out of it, just placed gently on top of the casket. And I saw that, and it felt like God's personal comforting touch just for me. Giving me a hug in that moment just to help me get through that just utter grief and sadness that I was experiencing. So that helped me kind of find some closure in that time. I ended up working at USC for three years, working for Coach Carroll down there. In 2010, he took the job with the Seahawks and asked me to come up with him. It was a hard transition at first because the only person I knew in, in Seattle was Coach Carroll. And Coach Carroll is an unbelievable guy. Love hanging out with him while I'm at work. But I needed someone to hang out with outside of work. And I didn't want to hang out with Coach Carroll outside of work. So I was, I was one of those desperate guys just trying to make friends, meet people, just trying to find something to do to get involved with. So. I mean, if someone said hi to me on the street, I thought they were my best friend. You know, I was like so desperate when I moved up there. And I run into this one guy who's super outgoing, super social, and he starts telling me about this, this Young Life thing. Now, Young Life is a high school mentorship program. It's um, pretty big in the Seattle area. And he tells me, hey, you should start volunteering with Young Life. And I was like, whatever it is, I'm in. Count me in because I have nothing to do right now. So I go to this Young Life meeting and I start learning what it's like to be a volunteer leader. And at the same time as I'm learning about what it's like to be a volunteer leader, a former teammate of mine walks into the same meeting. We're in this tiny little suburb outside of Seattle, and here's Taylor, our punter on the team, walking in to this young life. Now, I hadn't seen Taylor since Mario's funeral four years earlier. And this was the craziest reunion ever. 
because I didn't know he lived in Seattle, he didn't know I lived in Seattle, and at the same time, I mean, you guys have seen Animal House and Old School and all those crazy movies. I mean, they they actually modeled those movies after Taylor's life. So Taylor Taylor lived the life in college, and so I didn't know much about Young Life, but I knew enough that like that it feels like those two don't go together. Like a volunteer leader who's like that, that doesn't really fit. So I'm, I'm like, what? Well, something must have changed in this guy's life. Like, something must be different in Taylor's life. And he starts telling me, he's like, dude, my life has totally turned around in the last few years. I was like, oh, sweet, I didn't even have to ask. And he's, he starts telling me that he grew up going to church, he grew up in a Christian home, and when he went to college, he decided to, to do his own thing, he decided to turn and run from the faith. So when he saw a Bible in his locker that morning, he, uh, he was kind of upset, to be honest. He was pissed off that someone's trying to shove religion, shove rules down his throat. So as he's telling me the story, my, my heart kind of drops. I hadn't thought about these Bibles in four years. And, he, and he's like, do you remember those Bibles? And I just kind of played dumb because I didn't know where he was going with this. <laughs> I was like, I, I think I do. Yeah, I think I kind of remember. It was sitting in my bookcase back at home. So I was like, yeah, yeah, I, I think I kind of remember. And he's like, yeah, I was, I was so upset when I saw that Bible in my locker. And he took his Bible and threw it in the trash that morning. He's pushing the door up to go out to the practice field. And, I thought he was the last one in the locker room. He was our punter, and punters kind of operated at a different schedule. <laughs> pushing, the, pushing the door to go out to the practice field. And here's a voice in the back corner of the locker room going, what is this? Now he was confused, first of all, because he thought he was the last one in there. And second of all, it's like, what, what's going on back there? So he turns around, and there's Mario, our kicker, sitting in his locker, thumbing through the Bible, going, what is this? Now Taylor being our punter and Mario being our kicker, we're best friends. They spent 24 hours together basically every day. And Taylor screams across the locker room going, Mario, are you an idiot? Have you never seen a Bible before? And Mario's like, no. What am I supposed to do with this? Now for some reason, Taylor set his helmet and pads down and turns and walks back. And sits down in the locker next to Mario's and for 45 minutes takes him through the Bible. Every word in the red are the words of Jesus Christ, the Son of God, the one that God sent to the world to make you right with him, to die for your sins, to set you free, to give you new life. Now keep in mind, Taylor hasn't been to church in four years. He hasn't been walking with God in four years. But for some reason, God just starts speaking through him. Mario's receiving this all. He can't get enough. And Taylor said for the rest of that week, every spare moment Mario had, he's either reading the Bible or asking Taylor questions. Hey, I need to know more about God. I need to know more about Jesus. Like, What's going on in this part right here? What's going on here? Tell me more, tell me more. Now Taylor's dumbfounded. I mean, he's not an evangelist by any means. He's not even a churchgoer. And he's so confused by what's going on. Now the night before the game, Mario comes up to Taylor and he's like, this is real. God is real. Jesus is real. What am I supposed to do now? Now Taylor's like, I don't know, you just pray or something. I don't know. So there, Mario, the night before the game, turns to God, gives his life to Jesus, places his faith in Jesus. Two days after the game, he mysteriously dies and goes to heaven. Taylor gets the same phone call I got. Did you hear about Mario? And the moment he heard, everything came into crystal clear focus for him. He sees God at work. He sees God calling Mario to him. He sees God calling Taylor to him. 
and on the spot, as he hears about his best friend dying, he recommits his life to God. And he's telling me this story, and I'm on the verge of tears. And he's like, isn't that the craziest story? I was like, yeah, it's even crazier because I was the one who put the Bibles in law. And I thought it was a total failure. We both lost it, gave each other a big hug. This is the way our God works. This is the way our God desires to work through each and every one of us. There I was four years earlier, doubting, questioning, God, I don't have a purpose here. I'm not seeing anything. Everything I'm doing is failing. And all along, God had been working to call one of his sons back to him two days before he died. To call another son back to him. To change his life, to turn it back around. And then for me to hear that four years later, to change my life forever. To be able to share that with you all today. To hopefully impact you in some way. So as I said at the beginning, to listen for a nudge. Now if if you're like me in that moment, I was listening for a nudge. I could, I could start a Bible study, I could start a prayer group, I could place Bibles in the locker. Maybe you're like Taylor. Maybe the nudge you're hearing is to set your pads and your helmet down and to just turn back towards God. Maybe you're like Mario and the nudge you're hearing is a nudge that you've never really felt before. This nudge of the love of the Father calling you to Him. Whatever that nudge is in your life, think about the metaphorical locker room in your life. The people in your life that God is calling you to just listen to those nudges and just plant those seeds and to trust whether you can see it or not that God is working to save lives, to change lives through you. Now there's a verse from a tiny little book in the back of the Old Testament, Habakkuk. It's a minor prophet and it says, look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed for I am doing something in your days that you would not believe even you were told. Now, if God would have told me ahead of time, before I tried out, all this stuff's going to happen, there's no way I would have believed it. This is beyond belief. And it doesn't just apply to me, it applies to every single one of us in here. God desires to do things in your life that you would not believe, even if he told you right now. And most, most importantly, he desires to do things to impact the people around you in ways that you would not believe even if you were told. So look at the nations and watch and be utterly amazed. For God is doing something in your life that you would not believe, even if you were told. Thank you all so much.